Hello and good day, marvelous, spectacular, wonderful podcast family. I hope that wherever you are on this planet, you are doing tremendous. And I'm sending you all of my prayers your way, wishing you, your family, your friends, your loved ones, all the best. We have an absolutely phenomenal episode of the show for you today. We have Tamarack Song back on the podcast, and we are talking about the life and training of a guardian warrior. Uh, Tamarack is full of knowledge in so many different areas. He, he apprenticed with Native American elders, lived with wolves, um, has 15 years of primitive, primitive living. He has founded several schools, including the Brother of the Wolf Foundation, and uh, has done so much more. This guy is absolutely phenomenal. You guys are going to love this show. We talk about uh, nature speak, the guardian way, asking nature for answers, observing versus immersion, the three archetypes, uh, springing the pattern trap, existence versus living, uh, a guide for letting go of fear, the two core emotions, guardian consciousness, mission consciousness, uh, dealing with the the current times that we're in, uh, the archetype of the enemy, how to deal with conflict, and so much more. This is an absolutely outstanding episode. And if you want to support the show, please share this episode as far and as wide as you can. Uh, send it to friends via email, direct message, whatever you can do to get the word out there because the censorship is absolutely bonkers. You can support the show by going to mattbelair.com and becoming a member. They have deleted my Patreon, so there's a few uh, donation amounts that you could do there if you want to support the show. That would be really tremendous. Uh, you know, even a dollar is, is phenomenal. And if you want to become a member for free, I just back up the episodes over there so you can do that as well um, by just hit me up, matt at zenathlete.com, and I will uh, make sure that you become a member, no problem. And uh, what else? Oh, yeah, three kind acts. That's the best way you can support the show is to do three kind acts wherever you are in the world. And if you're a person who really wants to make a difference in this world, you want to respond to all of the madness that's going on, you want to find clarity and power and purpose, and you want to move from like an existing job to a vocation and a calling, and you want to be able to uh, architect your life deliberately, even in these challenging times, hit me up, matt at zenathlete.com or mattbelair.com forward slash coaching. There are a lot of options to support you. The Soul Compass course, the Quantum Heart Hypnosis audios, and also training one-on-one -on -one with me and with group. And if you want to join a group training call with me as my guest, just again, hit me up at matt at zenathlete.com. It would be great to learn about you, to support you. All of the online programs that I have, um, some of them... Um, um, do cost money, but if you don't have money or you need a discount, I'll give you that. Uh, whether it's the Soul Compass or the Quantum Heart Hypnosis, I'm going to do whatever I can to support you on your journey because I have a lot of tools and resources and years of experience helping people just find out who they are, what their authentic purpose is, you know, and then using all the peak performance tools to overcome limiting beliefs, overcome self sabotage, and architect a very strong uh, mindset that is linked intrinsically with spirituality, God, the creator, and the great spirit. And, uh, you know, so you can navigate your life in a very powerful way. So if you guys are interested in that, I would love to support you in any way I can. And again, just mattatzenathlete.com is all you got to do. Uh, check out my telegram, matt, uh, t.me forward slash Matt Belair. I'm on TikTok as well. They gave me YouTube back, so it's just a battle. Uh, sign up for the email list if you can. And uh, that's it. Let's just come into a state of peace and coherence before we dive into this in incredible episode. So wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath and let it out slowly, filling every cell, muscle, and fiber of your being with peace, joy, contentment, passion, power, purpose, faith, courage, and get ready to enjoy this phenomenal episode with Tamarack Song.
Hello and welcome to the Mastermind Body and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matthew Belair. As you know, we have been overcoming extreme censorship. So if you want to support this show, please share episodes far and wide. Leave a review on iTunes. Go to mattbelair.com and sign up for the membership where you can support the show uh, by donation or free where all the episodes are backed up just in case. But most importantly, consider doing three kind acts wherever you are in the world today. Today's guest is an independent scholar. He has completed graduate level work in nature-based healing and trauma recovery. Drawing from his academic background, apprenticeships with Native American elders, living with wolves and 15 years of primitive living, he founded the Brother Wolf Foundation, Teaching Drum Outdoor School, Snow Wolf Publishing, and the Healing Nature Center, where he teaches therapeutic breathwork, shamanic trauma recovery, suicide and trauma prevention, Zen, Guardian, Warrior Training, Extreme Survival Skills, Child-Friendly Parenting, Storytelling, and Creative Writing. Welcome back to the show, Tamarack Song. Oh, thank you for such an illustrious introduction, Matt. I wish <laughs> it was sure. all true. No, it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure that's the, the short version. I was joking before we yeah, started. Yeah. I was like, you know, you're like my, my spirit animal. Like if I can be, um, you know, somewhat of, of what you are at your age, I'll be really proud of myself because I feel like all of those skills and all of your knowledge and what you're sharing is important, but especially with the times of today and how disconnected mm. we're getting from nature and from ourselves and from our relationship with uh, you know, nature, spirit in the world, it's becoming even more important. So um, do you want to share, you were on the show before, but do you want to share a little bit about uh, your journey and then the work you do? And I'd love to dive into your book. You wrote a book I'm going to pull up here, uh, Like a Shadow, The Life and Training of a Guardian Warrior. And uh, I get a lot of books and I read a lot of books. And when I, when you sent me that book, it was like every, every page I opened up was, was, I just thought phenomenal the way that you've um, what you talk about, how you structure it, I feel like is a very, very important book for, so I hope it gets popularized and I hope people who listen to this show um, look at it on Amazon and check it out. But I feel like it's a, just one of the best books that I've read and seen uh, in a long time. So I'm going to shut up now and get you to just share a little about your background <laughs> and all the work that you do. Okay, Matt. Well, my, my uh, history with the Guardian Way started when I was, oh, probably <clears throat> I was seven or eight years of age. And uh, <clears throat> my dad had a habit of stopping at the, at the tavern on the way home from work every night. So uh, uh, this one night, though, he came straight home and he had an uh, American Indian elder with him. He picked him up hitchhiking. He was going back to the reservation, which is about 80 miles north of us. And uh, for me as a kid with my brothers, you know, we played cowboys and Indians all the time. Wow, to have a real Indian sitting down and eating with us. It was just such a, uh, it was unbelievable. So I, we had chili that night, I still remember. And uh, I peppered him with questions. You know, I, I asked if he had a horse and he lived in a teepee, you know, all the, all these stereotypical <laughs> uh, questions. And uh, if he had a headdress. And uh, he was very kind and gracious with the, which the elders always were with me. Uh, they always listened to me, even though I pestered them with questions, even when I was older in my twenties and thirties, always asking them questions about their old ways, how they used to live. Uh, and he was, uh, he answered my questions. And after a while, uh, my dad said, you know, Tamrak, um, why don't we just let him eat? 
uh, <laughs> and, uh, and something happened right then. First of all, I felt shamed by my dad because it was just my childlike curiosity, you know? Um, that's what kids are for. That's what we're supposed to do, explore, discover. And, uh, but we quit talking, but the discussion didn't stop. I was still connecting with him. I looked at him and he was looking at me and our eyes connected. And I felt something, I felt, so, I felt a deep connection there. And we kept this subliminal communication going and I felt fulfilled, it was beautiful. I felt as though there was someone there who understood me, someone who was connecting with who I was, my intrinsic being. And I found out later that, that, the, that the native people call it nature speak. It's this universal language that all of nature and all of us are always communicating with we're just not aware of it if we're not conscious beings. This is how the trees are communicating with the weather and the birds and the, and the deer and, and the people. This, this web of communication is always going on, which is why there's such balance in nature. It's not, it just not just happenstance. Nature is very complex, but it works. And that's because they are listening to each other. There's deep listening going on. And, and that was the first time I connected with nature speak with a fellow human. And that just sent me, I realized that I don't have to just run away into the woods. I don't just have to retreat to nature the rest of my life. It's actually possible to connect with others of my own kind. There is this wild child in, in each of my playmates. Um, we are essentially wild beings. And from then on, I, uh, as soon as I was able, uh, in which was um, after I turned 18 and 19 and, and left home and went to college, I would keep dropping out of school and hitchhike around the country and look for native elders who still practice some of their old ways. And I would spend time with them. I would apprentice to them. And uh, I, I probably over the years spent time with 40 or 50 different elders. And I learned about what it is to be a primal human, to be an indigenous being, to be a, uh, to be true to who I really am, rather than trying to play some kind of a role that my parents expected of me or my society was imprinting upon me. And that, that's how I learned about the, the, the three archetypes, about the guardian way, uh, about being a nurturer, and about being a voice, a voice or a lead for my people. And uh, I, I realized that I was, I was born a guardian. And uh, I learned all I could about the guardian way. I got involved in uh, some guardian warrior activities with some of the native people I knew. Um, that, that's a whole nother story. And uh, so what I wrote about in the book is it, it's not me. <laughs> it's just stuff I'm passing on that I was given, stuff that I learned. Um, I also learned a lot about the guardian way uh, when I was in my mid twenties for five years, I lived uh, with a pack of wolves. And uh, they, I saw the same thing there. The, the uh, elders would tell me when I had questions oftentimes, go and ask the deer, go and ask the wolves. And they wouldn't answer me directly. They would send me to nature. And uh, they said, that's what their elders did with them when they were peppering them with questions. You know, go where we went to get the answers. And uh, I did that. And I took them literally, I took them seriously and I went to live with a pack of wolves and I saw the same thing there. And I realized why the elders 
talk about the deer as the deer people and the trees as the tree people and the wolves as the wolf people, um, because there I was and they accepted me as one of them. And I was able to see from the inside out rather than, than observing as, as we, as we civilized people often do, we're observing nature rather than immersing ourselves in nature, rather than becoming nature. And I was there and I saw the nurturers and the guardians and the voices and how they work together. This just this beautiful synergy, like organs within an organism. You know, the, the pack was functioning as one animal, you might say. And uh, I thought that was so beautiful. And I realized what potential we as humans could have if we could really trust each other, if we could put, sit, lay down our boundaries and all of our belief systems and just be what tremendous capacity we would have to live in balance with each other and in balance with our mother planet again. So that, that, that's the short story. <laughs> wow. That's beautiful. There's so much I want to cover in this. So I'm going to just start shooting some questions your way. You talked a little bit about the three archetypes. Uh, can you share you? I think you shared what they are, but can you just share what they are and a little bit about them? Yeah. We all play a role. We're all social animals, whether we are humans or uh, orcas, killer whales or wolves. Uh, we have a, a role that we play. Within our, within our pack or our uh, flock or, or whatever uh, we're living in. And with humans, it's clan. Our ancestors lived in clans of about, oh, 15 to 30 people. And each person played a specific role there. And the, the, the role that's the most obvious to a lot of people is the nurturer, uh, the people who are caring for the children, uh, the people who are... Um, uh, processing and, and, and providing the food, uh, the people who are watching over the children when, when they're playing to make sure they're, they're going to be safe. Uh, the nurturer role is very obvious in a, in a traditional camp. And then there's the role of the voices. And they're the ones who have the perspective. They're the ones who see what's going on. They help to organize and coordinate things. They speak for the clan when uh, uh, someone is needed which would be in our civilized society, our ambassadors, um, they're out there representing us. And then there are the guardians and they're the, they're the, they're the ones who hang out around the periphery uh, to, to uh, give you a feel for what it is to be a guardian. If you uh, have ADD, ADHD, or you know anybody who does, that is because they're guardians. They're not able to focus on anything. And that's what a guardian doesn't do because the guardian has to maintain perspective, has to be aware of what's going on around you all the time. So the guardians play that role. They're not real socially oriented. A lot of times they're seen as loners or uh, very independent. Uh, and they are constantly absorbing what's going on. And they play the role of filling in wherever something is needed or a person is needed. They're right there. They're there to serve. So though that in a nutshell is the three archetypes. And each one of us is one of those archetypes. There are a few of us who are, are pretty balanced with two of the archetypes and, and very few of us who are fairly skilled at all three. But most of us fit into one of those three archetypes. 
Right. And so in your, in your book, you go on it to talk about, you know, the guardian way today and these three archetypes. Do you, how do you see understanding these archetypes and applying them in our modern day world? Right. Because I think before this whole pandemic scenario, people felt a trust in the system and they would, you know, kind of go with this evolution. But now we're seeing the flaws with not having any connection with nature, uh, survival skills, uh, good community, more connected with the earth because everything's become so digital. Right. And so basically fake like a matrix right now, they want to slap the VR headsets right on you. And, uh, you know, they're so real. Uh, the first time I put a VR set on, I was like, holy smokes, that could be what my body is. Because if I put a VR headset in and like a whole suit on that had sensors, it'd be very hard for me to distinguish reality and know that I was in the yeah. simulation. And so coming back to nature is so important. So how do you see the guardian uh, role are, are using these archetypes in our modern world? Yeah, there's there's really an issue with uh, our our modern world and who we are intended to be because our modern world is so structured and we're supposed to find a slot to fit in, you know, whether it's going to school for a degree or getting a profession or being a a, a family member. You know, there's all these slots, and some of us are lucky and our slot fits. Uh, some of us are not so lucky. For example, with guardians in our modern society, there is very little place for a guardian to find a, a role in which he can function as a guardian. So a lot of people are drawn to uh, martial arts who are guardians or the military. And uh, people see martial arts as a practice oftentimes. It, it, it's really not needed by our culture. You know, we don't have any, unless you're teaching martial arts, it's, it's mainly a personal practice, a personal discipline, which is beautiful. Uh, however, it's not really admired and cherished by our society. We're not going out there and serving our people as martial artists. Um, in the military, yes, you know, there's a lot of honoring of veterans and, and all of that. However, that's four years and you're done unless you make a career of it. And there's a lot of controversy around the military too because of, of what we're doing around the world uh, in terms of uh, 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 conquering and exploiting and um, controlling other, other uh, societies and other cultures. And, uh, and also the military industrial complex, how the military is used in order to uh, maintain our access to resources around the world. So there's all of that. So it, 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 to, to be able to serve as a guardian in a pure state where it is recognized and honored by our culture is pretty much non-existent now. And the same with nurturers. Uh, the, the, the one archetype that is recognized and, and, and uh, respected in our culture is that of CEOs, of politicians, of people who are in leadership roles. Um, and they're considered on the top of the heap. And the nurturers, you know, the people who are caring for the children and such, they are low paying jobs. They don't get much recognition. And they're doing so much for the, to, to, uh, to uh, maintain our culture. They're raising our children and, uh, what happens oftentimes, I'll give you an example. 
let's say I go to college as, as an English major. And uh, if I'm not really, if I don't find a niche after I graduate as a writer or as a, um, a, a screenwriter, uh, it's really competitive out there. Uh, uh, what do I do? I end up becoming a teacher. So I teach English, you know, I teach high school English or grade school grammar or something. And oftentimes the people who are teaching, and this isn't always the case because there's some great teachers out there. Don't get me, get me wrong. But the people who, who ought to be teaching, which is true in indigenous cultures, are the people who have excelled in their field, not people who've just gone to school for four years and get a degree and you go and teach. They've never practiced in their field. They don't have the cred. They can, they can regurgitate what they've learned in four years of college, but they don't have the life experience to draw from. We have 22 and 24 and 26 year olds teaching our kids when it should be our people who are our elders, when it should be our people who've um, uh, practiced in their profession for 20 and 30 years and really understand it from the inside out and know the nuances of the profession. If, uh, if I'm going to teach English and I'm a successful writer and I've, I've published 20 books, okay, now I can come from a place of wisdom and perspective and awareness and understanding. I'm not just blurting out what my professor told me in college. So there, there's a really big difference there between... Yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. You know, especially with our education system, you know, we're kind of getting these new teachers and these curriculums that are coming top down and they're not being vetted by the parents or the people. And so, you know, my partner, she's a, you know, kindergarten teacher and I've been paying attention and she's been noticing what's been happening in the last couple of years of the curriculum that's coming through. And it's completely insane. You know what I mean? Mm. Parents have no idea what their kids are being taught. Um, yeah. And there is an agenda behind it. And it reminds me that, you know, the Native Americans that I learned from and recently, unfortunately, a friend of mine, um, Zuni elder Clifford Mahoudi has just passed. And, you know, he had the, the oral teachings and he said, we, we learned everything orally. And he said, you know, I remember going and, and you know, my grandpa wanted to, me to stay with him and, and him tell me stories. And he's like, but I always wanted to run and play. And he used to get mad. And uh, he goes, I understand why he was mad at me now. Um, you know, as a kid, it didn't matter. But now that I'm older, you know, I wish that I had listened more. And, and so he was just such a wealth of knowledge. And he was one of the few elders that was even willing to share with the non-natives because obviously there's a lot of, uh, you know, tumultuous history there, which is rightly so, you know, him and David Lombard just say that, you know, the, the white people just take, you know, if we teach them something, they just take it, then make a profit and don't share it back or don't, you know, really help. And, and, and so a lot of them are really reluctant to share publicly some of these teachings. And so it just makes me think about the importance of the oral teachings and then also having your grandparents involved and sharing that wisdom and not having, like you said, a 20, like you said, a 20 something, you know, come in and, and believe that they know everything because you're really learning in your twenties. You're really actually learning in uh, 30 to 40 as well. You know, now I'm 37. I'm still, I don't know anything. I've done all these podcasts and I've traveled a lot and talked to different bodies. I don't know anything. Like what do I actually know? And so it's definitely a journey and, and the wisdom part of it's important. And I think the family unit's important as, and then the community element are all these fundamental things that we're kind of missing in our society mm -hmm. structure. You know, in your book, you kind of go on to 
you know, the mindset part, you talk about the driving force, uh, transparency and service, what breeds failure and springing the pattern trap. Every, every part of this book, you know, when I started picking through it, I would just go through and I would see the heading like that. And I would just start reading. And, and I was just like, man, this stuff is just so bang on and so important. It really encompasses, you know, a way to live life, like a guide to um, understanding how we live and, and how to, be our authentic self and make our way in the world because like you touched on before it's hard to fit this mold that society is waiting for you right oh you can go be a ceo to be important and get value mm-hmm. and get all this stuff that people are craving but you have to go within first and know who you are right and then build that in the world and it's it's really constructing reality consciously but there's no map for that right it's not like it's not guaranteed if you get a nine to five job you get a guaranteed paycheck you know what your social status is you know what i mean you know all these different things and and going this way is a little bit different so i'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about the mindset part yeah this is very important we have a saying in guardian training that life is training and training is life when we separate the two uh, we can train and then we go back to our regular lives our lives as usual and we're all about habit and pattern. You know, 98% of what we do is habitual. It's pattern behavior. It's something that we've learned and we, it's knee-jerk reactions. We don't think about it. When I walk up a flight of steps, I always start with my right foot. When I open a door, it's always with my left hand. Uh, when I brush my teeth, it's always with the same hand. When I speak, I'm using the same 500 words over and over and over. So I'm not really connected uh, I'm just, I'm just existing. I'm not really living. I'm not fully living. And a guardian has to be fully engaged. If I'm going to reach my full potential, I have to develop all of my senses. I have to develop my mental acuity. I have to develop my intuitive sense. And that takes continual training. And it's really not that hard. For example, if I'm dedicated to pattern breaking, uh, when I come to a set of steps, I'm going to step up with my left foot instead of my right foot. It it helps to break a pattern. And if I do it often enough, I'm going to be uh, flexible, fluid, when I come to an obstacle to step over. Whichever is the easiest foot uh, to use, I'm going to go over instead of having to stop and step over with my right foot because I don't know how to do it with my left foot. There's an easy example. Um, The same with speaking. When I I come up and, and see a friend, instead of saying, oh, hi, how are you? Uh, which everybody says, I will say something else. I'll say something that is meaningful in the moment to help me connect with the now rather than just this, the usual, you know, social blah, blah, blah. And that all of that is training. And if I approach life consciously that way, I'm in training all the time. I'm becoming more aware. I'm becoming more sensitized. I am developing new neural synapses instead of constantly reinforcing those old synapses which is what I'm going to have to rely upon in an emergency situation. If I'm called to, called to perform, if I'm called to step up and, 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 and defend somebody or protect somebody, uh, I'm not going to have all of my mental and physical capacities. I'm just going to have what I'm programmed to do. That's it. I, I love that. I think that's so important and so powerful. And it's funny because I got that teaching from David Lumber. He used to just say, yeah. uh, drive a, drive a new way home, you know? So yeah. he would always just drive these different ways. 
And it's funny because when we look at, let's say, the predatory system or the programs, they talk about TV programming your mind, music programming your mind. And when you understand the psychology and the intent, and you know a little bit about hypnosis and manipulation, you can tell that there are intents to these stories and they are programming. That's why they got TV programming, same as school and all these other things. So when you get into a rut, you just run the same old program and it's physical, mental, and emotional, right? So you get up and the alarm goes off and you rush to shut it down. And then, you know, you feel a certain way, you rush to work and you just run these whole patterns. You get home and you have whatever dinner you're going to have. And you have a Monday to Friday routine and usually a Saturday to Sunday routine with little, with only a little bit of variation. And this includes your thoughts. It includes your actions and it includes your emotional mm-hmm. states. So what can you do to shake things up? And people might hear that and think it's trivial, but it's not because like you said, you are literally creating new neural sy- synapses. You're now creating, creating options. And just like this program, what they want is like one option to literally like, you know, program you into slavery, into a pattern reaction. And with that conscious thought, you can then change that. And that's where your free will comes in. That's how you begin to design your life is simple things like that. You know, one of the things that I like to do, and I learned this from sports was that, you know, in skateboarding, you always have to do everything your wrong way which skateboarding is hard enough. Then all I'm trying to do it my wrong way. Same with snowboarding (laughs) and martial arts, the same thing. I want to develop both sides of the body um, and learn. And and I learn more about myself. It seems it's one of the ways that I like to discover, you know, who I was through martial arts and it really connected with, with my body. And it was not so much about how you could beat the crap out of someone, but knowing yourself more. And that gives you confidence in everything else you do in your life. So breaking the pattern is incredibly important. You can eat, Uh, with your non-dominant hand that's one and they also link it to creativity there's another exercise that i really like where you would uh, ask yourself some questions right some important questions like who am i you know what are my values what would i do if i could uh wouldn't fail Uh, what's most important to me um you know what's my real dream and you you ask these questions but you write it down with your non-dominant hand and when Mm. i would do these exercises my i would think with my brain would would think and I would write it down. So I feel like the answer would be the same if I wrote it down with my other hand. But when I would read the answers, it was always, you know, 20% different when I would reread. I was like, oh, this is different than, you know, than I think that I would just react, right? And that's that space and it's changing things to just this programmed pattern reaction. And uh, it's a very powerful thing to do. Yeah, you bet. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. And so, well, I didn't know if you, do you want to comment on that? Cause I was just going to fire another question at you. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just a bit. Um, I, I learned from uh, the elders. They, when I would ask questions, they would say, rather than asking questions, be as a question. And uh, with that questioning attitude, I, I, I caught what they were saying, because when I ask a question, I'm basing that on what I already know. How do I know what to ask if I don't know, what's out there. So when I, when I be as a question, I'm just open and inquisitive. I'm open to whatever else is going on. Uh, if I ask a question, I'm going to get an answer to that specific question. It may or may not be what's going to help me. I don't know because that's why I'm asking the question. So what, what they're implying is by being as a question is to be open, to be inquisitive, to be curious, to be experimental, just to live that way. And I'm going to be open to new information all the time rather than filtering it uh, based upon what I think I ought to know because I don't, I don't really know. That's trying to predict the future. 
Right. Yeah. And that reminds me of, you know, having the idea of having a childlike mind. Right. And it's, yeah. and it's so interesting to know as you get older, how little you actually know. Right. Because, the, you know, information evolves over time. There's, there's certain I've kind of deduced it. And I'd love your two thoughts on this because of all the, let's say, information out there. We're in a bit of an information overload. So you learn about history and then all of a sudden you learn maybe there was a distortion or maybe you didn't learn the entire truth. You learned some of it. But then, you know, there was this new way or this new information that kind of elaborated, you know, what you knew and changed your perspective a little bit. So when I thought about it, I figured we know what we can do, right? So if I know how to make a ham sandwich, I can make another ham sandwich, most likely. Um, and we know our intentions, right? So we could have a, you know, we can know what we had a pure intent and fail and maybe, you know, cause a little disruption and a little um, grief for some people by accident. Um, but we would know our intent. Are we intending to do harm? Are we intending to, you know, whatever the case is. So I, I discovered those two things. I'd be curious um, what your thoughts are on, you know, trying to navigate to the truth here and, and, you know, knowing who we are actually, and then, you know, navigating a very deceptive reality. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's uh, I, <clears throat> I am a member of a group that, that uh, practices um, uh, inqu inquisiting uh, constantly searching, going under and under and beneath and through. And we like to think that, oh, there must be some truth. There must be some ultimate truth. Um, that's what I'm after. This, that's what this inquiry is all about. And the odd thing is that it's like climbing a mountain. Oh, I want to climb this mountain. And I get up there and I'm at, at, at the peak and I look over across the valley and I see, oh, there's another mountain. I didn't know that. <laughs> and I go and conquer that mountain. And there's another one and another one and another one. And, and, and this is the, the beauty of what I consider to be true inquiry, the true Zen of inquiry. And that is that there is no ultimate truth. I, I arrive at something. I think I found something. And I can sit there and rest on my laurels and create a belief system around it and say that, hey, this is it. I've got it figured out for the rest of my life. Or I can see it as a doorway to something beyond, something further, something deeper, something even more splendid or, or, or more bizarre or whatever. Whatever's, I don't know what's there. So I just keep going. I just keep going. I just keep going. And to me, that's the difference between mere existence and living. Can you define that a little bit more like the mere existence and living, just the ability to stay in a curious state? Is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, existence is, is um, you know, going functioning as a, as a biological entity, basically filling up space, breathing, eating, going through the motions of life, um, not really knowing who I am, not knowing why I'm here, not necessarily... Um, doing anything for the benefit of others. Oh, I might be a good and kind person and I'm you know, taking care of my kids and such, but anybody can do that. What, what is my gift? Why am I here? What's beyond this mere existence? Is this all I'm here for is just to have a couple of kids and have them do the same thing and then their kids do the same thing. And uh, what, what, is, what is the purpose of life? What is, what is the greater reason for existence? Um, how can I be more... Uh, responsive and responsible. If I'm just another consumer and I, I, we, we keep reproducing and keep overpopulating the planet um, and 
and just rest on our laurels. Oh, I'm really a nice person. You know, I go to church on Sunday and I, you know, I, I, I pay my insurance and I die. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, is that living? Why bother? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad I asked that because I think that's a really important thing for people to even ponder with themselves, the, the difference between existing and living and what that means for them. And you've talked about this a, a few times is just coming back and knowing yourself, knowing who you are, you know, mm. what you came here to do, what's most important to you. Because if you just let society or this world dictate, you know, who you are, then you're going to have a very meaningless existence by your own definition because you didn't consciously create things right you just let other forces create your life for you so you know coming back to your own power and no matter what your circumstances are some people have much more challenging circumstances but we do influence our reality and we do have free will in this and so if we can come back to who we are we're going to be able to navigate our challenges a little bit more mm, maybe if I don't know if efficient efficiently is the right word, but in stoicism, it talks about it a lot because, you know, they lived in really rough times and just talked about the world being uh, challenging, right. That, that you're going to deal with these frustrations and challenges and setbacks and horrors and all these different things. And so where our power comes from is how we respond to those things. And I'm wondering if you can touch a little bit on uh, failure, if you want to do these in two parts you can, but failure and handling fear, I feel like are two very important things. Now, even my daughter started saying, you know, I'm afraid. And um, I, you know, mm. I did some training where I was, you know, I'm constantly doing training that scares the crap out of me. And I haven't faced all of my fears. Um, there's still a lot of stuff that would frighten mm. me. Um, but, yeah. you know, I feel like the intention to face my fears directly and push myself has helped me grow as an individual and I'm still here and I'm still kicking. And I feel like if we can redefine failure and learn how to navigate life, even though we might be afraid, but have a powering yeah. perspective around that, we're going to have a lot more freedom. Yeah. 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 That's, that's beautiful, Matt. What you brought up is vitally important here. You know, there are two core emotions, uh, fear and longing, everything, all feelings, all aspirations, Needs, wants, and desires can be boiled down to those two, fear and longing. And if I can recognize that, I can work with it. Otherwise, um, I might be making an assumption or I have a delusion about what I'm, what I'm feeling or why I'm feeling it or what my motivations are. If I can get down to that core motivation, if someone tells me, for example, uh, I'm afraid, my response is beautiful. You're in touch with what's going on inside of you. No pretext. You know, you're right. You, you got it right, right there. Now, what do you want to do with this fear? Uh, you can either be victimized by it or you can embrace your fear and use it as your guide. And uh, the, the, the reason for fear, it, it's not something bad. Uh, it's a core emotion. The fear is there to serve us. Uh, for example, if I'm hiking, hiking through the woods, and I come up to the edge of a, of a drop-off and all of a sudden there's fear, you know, my chest tightens up and I look over the edge and wow, that's a long ways down, you know, that fear is for a reason. Hey, Tamarack, this is your fear talking, telling you to step back. You don't want to slide here because there's loose rock and, and uh, you know, you go tumble over this and you're a goner. So I, I embrace my fear. 
my fear is my companion and my guide now. So I back up a couple of steps. I'm not going to let the fear conquer me, though, because I need to get across the valley. Uh, my family is over there, and I, I need to get home by dark. Um, so I let my fear guide me. I walk down the edge of the uh, of the of the drop off, and I see that oh, there's a there's a, a, a crevasse here. There's an opening where I can where I can make my way down safely and down to the bottom, and then I can go across the valley and get back to my family before dark, so they don't worry about me. Now here. I have fear. I had tremendous fear. I'm afraid of heights. <laughs> and here I am looking down, you know, 200 feet. Um, I didn't let it conquer me, though. I could have just turned around and said, oh, I, I, I can't do it. You know, I'm afraid of heights and, and there's, there's no way across. I'm going to have to go the long way around this valley and I'm going to be home way after dark and I might get lost. And I'm just completely, uh, completely uh, overwhelmed by my fear. But no, I embraced my fear. I listened to my fear. My fear was my guide. My fear is my strength, not my weakness. I love that. I think that's such a powerful perspective because fear is necessary. Um, if we didn't have, right. If we didn't have fear of, I don't know, a lion back in the day and you would be, keep getting yeah. eat up. So there's things to be afraid of. Um, and it's being in touch with what's, what's a real fear and what's a made up fear, you know, like what's, what's something that's coming from a limiting belief of, you know, fear of success or fear, fear of, you know, being who you are and stepping out. Those are different, but if you give your fear a voice, so let's say you want to do something and you're afraid of it, write that down. So if I go for this job or something that lights me up or go write down all your fears and then you're addressing them. Um, and then you can use like, like you said, like as a guide, understand what's real and what's a false fear, because the more that you understand it, the more power you have. And can you go a little bit into your perspective on failure? Because I think that's another huge thing where most people think I'm going to go and do this thing, or I'm going to go through my life and I'm not going to fail. And if they do fail, they kind of uh, beat themselves up for it, you know, like it's unacceptable, but failure to me is definitely a part of the process. And if we can learn how to be fearless and courageous, let our fear guide us, but not hold us back, you know, this mm. is where I want to go. And it does frighten me for a variety of reasons, but none of them are big enough to prevent me from going to do this, you know, because my, my passion and my will and who I am is greater than that thing that I'm afraid of. So mm -hmm. I do have the capability to get across the river or create this thing. That's a, an inspiration from who we are. And from what I've found with working with a lot of different people, especially over the last couple of years, you know, the thing that they want to do if we're working on their life purpose and who they are and what's most important to them, they always know the answer. And that, that's the hard part. It's like the guiding through some of those fears of letting go of all these things that they thought were more important and just, you know, having the courage to take a little bit of action to remove the fear and just start taking a step in that direction. And once you start taking those steps, you kind of see how the universe is wanting you to do this because this is who you naturally are and, and the universe yeah. will begin to support you. It doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean it's guaranteed. It doesn't mean you get every single thing you want, but what happens is you go, Oh, okay. Well, my whole life I've had this, uh, um, bag of, you know, kind of rotten apples, you know, and I carried around, they're super heavy, but you know, I really decided I'd like to live in a village that had, you know, good food and nice apples and you start moving, you know, you start to get a better yield and you let go of things that weren't as, as important as you thought. Cause society's telling you that these rotten apples are amazing. You want to get as many of those as you can, you know, when you let all those things go and you get something more real and more genuine to what your soul is craving, like community, meaningful work, uh, getting better at things that you enjoy doing, um, being a good member of your community, all of that 
whether it's spiritual, mental, emotional energy is going to trump this uh, materialism that they're really just trying to you say, hey, look at this gold, look at this gold, you know, look at this thing. And it doesn't mean that you don't uh, take responsibility for your situation and your family and what you need to do to provide. It means that's not your, your end goal. You can create abundance, but what's most important is the development of your life, of your soul, of your existence. Mm, yep. Yep. So true. So true. And in order to get there, uh, I'm glad you brought up failure. That's, uh, that's a term that we use very minimally in guardian training uh, because failure is a uh, recognition of a defeat and that that's our super ego, our judge saying, "Oh, Tamarack, you didn't met, you didn't, um, you didn't uh, meet your expectations here. You're 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 not you're not doing very well." And the the reverse of that, very similar to fear, uh, to rather rather than embrace the concept of failure, look at it as a teaching, as a, as a learning experience. We have to quote unquote fail in order to succeed. We have to try out various uh, approaches, various nuances in order to see what's going to work and not work. And in order to bring new information to the table to make what works work very well and work consistently, we have to know where things are going to fall off the edges and where things uh, might not work so that we can avoid it. And that's what quote unquote failure does for us. If you watch it, a, a baby learning to walk, uh, the baby's going to trip, the baby's going to fall, uh, the baby's going to fall sideways, the baby's going to fall trip over his own feet. God, is that failure? No. The baby's learning how to be coordinated. The baby is learning how to put one foot in front of another, how to turn, how to balance through failure. It's the only way to learn. If mama keeps holding the baby's hand every time the baby wants to try to walk, the baby is going to learn to be dependent on mom to walk and is not really going to learn to be independent and interdependent. The baby has to fail. The baby has to trip and fall. That's an essential part of learning to walk. And that's a metaphor for, for everything we learn. I love baby. that. And it's so true. And, and as human beings, we're constantly pushing the boundaries of our capabilities or you're not, or you've kind of gotten to this comfortable zone. And that's where I think a lot of people get stuck is, is in this comfortable zone. And it's almost mm -hmm. like this sedation, right? So you get the amount of money that you require to live, you know what I mean? And you do some things and then you're, you know, you're eating food that, you know, creates sedation, you're drinking alcohol or some sort of escapism that, you know, allows you to kind of be sedated a little bit further rather than testing your limits, you know, figuring out what's most important to you and how to like give it your all. Um, I like to give this example to some people where, you know, for coaching or something and they're talking about their life and they might not be so happy, but I say, okay, well think about this, you know, you, you know, 10 years from now, um, from now, from right now, I'm going to give you a million or 10, $20 million, some stupid amount of my hundred million dollars, just uh, all the money you need forever, hundred, a million dollars a day, every day. So you don't have to worry mm -hmm. about money. You're multimillionaire for the next 10 years. Um, now you get to live that life. And at that time, um, if you, let's say break both of your legs and you no longer have the use of your legs or you go blind, right. And you have to move forward for another 10 years. Are you going to choose, uh, you have to choose one thing, taking your wealth with you or starting where you are now with all of your capabilities. 
you know, just your, just who, your natural self. And everybody chooses a full and complete body, a full and complete brain, because the the quality of their health and their life doesn't trump that. And I often think that no. people think about their lowest common denominator rather than what they're actually truly capable of. And so, yeah. you know, especially mm-hmm. in sports, you're always testing the limits in, in, in any skateboarding and snowboarding is consistent failure. Um, and so that's how you get yeah. better. And eventually you overcome that failure and it's a very beautiful thing, but it's a necessary unavoidable part of the process. And if we can just accept it for what it is, then we're going to just enjoy the experience and try again and not take it personally. You know, it's like, Oh, I failed. So I'm going to, I'm going to stop, you know, I I can't remember what the, who, who said the quote is just, you know, you don't fail until you stop trying, right. That's, that's when failure happens is when you actually give up and and stop trying. So um, I think it's really important for people to just kind of wrap their head around that and, and understand that it's, it's more of a process. It's not like I want to achieve this thing. Well, give yourself time. Like if you want to, I just started to learn the guitar last year and I suck and I kind of stopped, but I didn't make progress. Right. So if I had stayed consistent over time, I'd be a lot further ahead, but my will and my desire to do it was kind of, you know, waning. But so the things that I, so that's why it's so important to really know what you desire because that passion is going to get you through those pain points, those sticking points, those times where you fail or you don't have that um, inertia. So it's really important to know who you are and what's most important to you. And I'd be curious, you know, in your book, I love how you have definitions in the back and two of the definitions I'd love for you to go into is uh, what is guardian consciousness and mission consciousness and how do we connect to, you know, a greater meaning within ourselves in in a world that really conditions us to think that, we're not going to make a difference. It's all so big. You know, there's no point, you, you know, you're, mm. you're not going to do anything. You know, how do we, how do we move towards a guardian and mission consciousness? Yeah. Okay. I'll start with mission consciousness because that, that pretty much includes guardian consciousness as well. A mission is a, um, a, a specific uh, task that we take on in order to serve our people. It's not about me. It's about my people because the elders taught me that giving is receiving If I'm doing just what you were talking about, oh, yeah, I've got the money. I got the money. That's what I wanted. I'm working for the money because I want the money. I'm making it all about me. And when I get the money, I'm going to be alone. I've got the money. I haven't developed any relationships. I haven't developed trust. Um, I don't have any caring, sharing connections in my life. That's what's going to sustain me. When I'm down and out, if I were to lose all my money in an instant, I'd be there alone. It, life is all about relationship. So in order to cultivate relationship, I give before I, I even think about receiving. Uh, the, uh, the native people in my area, uh, when refrigerators came by, uh, came, came into their uh, reservation about 75 years ago, uh, they didn't know what to do with them. They called them stingy boxes because it just didn't make sense for them to have a refrigerator or a freezer to stick their surplus food into because what they've always done, if they have some surplus, they go give it to their neighbor. They, they share it. They have a feast. And what they're doing is developing relationships. So when their neighbor uh, comes back and, uh, from fishing or hunting and has extra, extra fish, what does he do? He comes and brings it over to me. And it's just that giving and receiving, that circle, that circle of relationship. 
that keeps going on. So here's what a mission is all about. Uh, guardians uh, live in mission consciousness. They're there to serve and they, they choose a mission or a mission is chosen for them. Uh, sometimes it's just obvious as to what people need or the guardians will, will call all of their kind together to serve on a mission. And that mission consciousness is getting out of your own ego and seeing yourself as part of a greater being, as organs within an organism. You know, within me, I have my liver and my heart, and my lungs, and any one of them alone cannot exist, not for very long. They all need each other. And in order to, to be the best, in order for my heart to be the best it can be, it has to first give blood to the lungs so the lungs can bring oxygen can infuse the, the blood with oxygen and bring oxygen to the heart muscles in order to function. So the heart has to give in order to receive. And the heart has to not only be the best heart he can be, but he has to be concerned about the lungs and the liver being the best they can be too, because they're all relying upon each other. So it's one for all and all for one. And uh, this is what guardian consciousness is all about. Uh, it's all about the mission. They devote yourself selflessly to the mission because the more I can give of myself, the, the better the mission is going to um, go, the more successful it's going to be, the healthier and happier my people are going to be. And in turn, the better they're going to be able to help and provide for me. I love that. That's so powerful. It reminds me of the idea where, you know, some people will, will make a prayer and they'll say, you know, I'm a servant of God, or some people say I'm a servant of creation, you know, and in Native American teachings, they'll just talk about all, all my relations being like, I am a part of everything is living, yeah. you know? So, you know, yeah. the, the rocks and the trees, we think of animals, yeah. like, okay, let's include the animals as our plants and like literally everything, the rivers, everything is a part of creation and you want to harmonize with that. You don't want to just separate yourself from it, use it for resource and do all these different things, which we can do, but it's understanding that relationship to it. Right. So if you need yeah, a beautiful. tree for housing, mm -hmm. you don't go and just chop down all the most important trees where maybe the beaver population is you figure out where you can get what you need. And you do this by a self inquiry. And then also having a relationship with the creator saying, you know, creator, these are the things that I need to live and survive and thrive for my my family and my community where can i get the things that i need and you'll be led to the right spot where you can take what you need um, but you're not you're not um, doing it in excess you know i thought like a when i went through the you know some of the food stuff and a lot of people have gone vegan on all these different things and i always thought about the um the ethical side of like killing an animal because i don't like that idea because i don't i don't want to harm anything i think they're all cute and they'll be my friends and <laughs> all this all this yeah. different ridiculous stuff you know what i mean i'm just gonna you know do that but you know when I was with the native American elders, they would just say, you know, we took what we needed, right. You need, you needed, you needed this yeah. to, to survive. This is, you know, this is the part of cycle of life. You know, these, these animals are going to die from old age or other animals as well. So we're a part of that ecosystem. So we take what we needed, but what our society has done is factory farming and pump it with all kinds of nonsense that your body doesn't want. And now it's a totally different thing. I saw another post recently that said, you know, 20 years ago, organic uh, food was just food, <laughs> you know, and this is how ridiculous yeah. things uh, have come. And so I, I also like the idea of, of an awakened person, not to be confused with a woke person, because that's just all kinds of nonsense that's going on out there now. 
but going from the idea of, of your operating system, your one of your core operating systems thinking uh, from what can I get, right? Most, most people want to get something. When you're a kid, you want some candy and an allowance and you want to drive a fast car. I don't know how I did anyway. I still do. <laughs> and you want to get all these different things and you switch that. You go, okay, well, what can I give? Right. And then you're, you're bringing value to your community and you do that through knowing who you are, what your gift is, right. What lights you up? Because when you learn that, then you can pass it on and you can get years of experience and then pass that down the light line. And it's authentically you. So you think about what can I give and, and you're bringing value to your community. And in that thread, I'd love to hear your, uh, perspective on money and abundance in this world, because you've lived a life where that wasn't your central theme. Uh, you know, I don't know what your financial situation was or is, but you've been able to create, a, you know, you've got your land, right, where people come and, and do their thing. But in this reality, in this world, so many people are like, I got to make this, I would do it, but this is the amount of money I got to make or, you know, and I hear different perspectives from people where they say, um, you know, abundance is like, or being great wealth is better because you can have more money and do more good. And it, and it means you're, you're, um, loving yourself more and you're honoring your self-worth where I think that's like kind of true, but not fully all the way. I feel like it's one of my, the wealthiest. Yeah. I think it's the wealthiest friend I have. It's, he's absurdly wealthy. I think one of his companies is worth maybe like probably 30 or $40 million now. Nicest guy ever. He's like a bro, you know, is at the gym and <laughs> he's, just, he's so funny. He's always got his hat backwards and you'd never know. No, he's the nicest guy. And he'd always just say to me, he's just like, I just figure out how to provide value. He's like, you could take everything from me and I could build it up tomorrow because I came from nothing. I did this from nothing. I was overweight and, and didn't provide value, but he was able to create value. And so I feel like, especially our young people and even our older people. And now that I'm a, a father, it's like this balance of, I need to be accountable and responsible for my family to provide. And I also want to provide service for my community and that gap of how do we get reimbursed or how do we get taken care of for that thing? Because one of the examples I'll give to the people that I do coaching with, I'll say, all right, well, write out a job description for me that I'm going to pay you 300 grand a year. So write out that job description, everything that you want to do, right? And then they'll write it out. And I'm like, okay, this, I'm going to pay you 300 grand a year. But then I just tell them to go do it. You already know what it is. Go do that thing as, as much as you can. You might not be able to do it full time, 40, 60 hours a week, but you can begin to chip away and then ask the creator for a way to move into this way of living. And, and sometimes you're going to have to let some things go or reorient, but it's been my experience that, uh, it's possible, especially once you give it a little bit of time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 That's a great example of your friends. Um, he has a lot of money. Uh, is it meaningful to him? Yes. Uh, how meaningful is it? Well, um, if I lose it all tomorrow, I can, I can start over because I carry it within me. That's where the value is. It's not what I accumulate around me. That comes and goes. That's just another form of energy. That's all it is. That's all money is. Now, if I, if I start to worship it, it's no longer another form of energy. Uh, it becomes a religion. And I become obsessed. I become addicted. And it starts to warp my mind. And it starts to affect uh, my, my decision-making process. And it gets in the way of relationship. I took a vow of poverty when I was 21 years of age. And that doesn't mean I didn't make money. I became a millionaire. I 
got to work, same as your friend. I didn't have anything. Um, I borrowed a thousand dollars from my mother. I went to the bank. I got a signature loan. I got a couple of businesses going and uh, I made a lot of money. Not for me. Um, I had a purpose. I had a mission. And that's what I was working for. I put all everything in trust uh, for that, that specific mission, which was, which was um, starting the school and the guardian training. That's what it was all for. And um, starting a wolf sanctuary. Uh, you know, th these were my missions. And that, that's what made what I was doing meaningful because I was doing something for others. I was giving in order that I might receive. And that's what works for me. So what I encourage people to do when I'm coaching is to, when they say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm stuck in my career or I don't know what to do with my life. I help them to get in touch with their reason for being, who they are, their passion. What's your vision? Um, we have some ways of finding that out. Let's do that and just go for that. Come hell or high water. Don't worry about whether you're going to make money at it or whether it's going to support a family or whatever. That all comes into place if you are true to your vision. That's what you got to do. That's the only way you're going to be happy. It's the only way you're going to have something significant and meaningful to give to others. I love that. That's so spot on. And the importance of getting really clear is is one big thing that will give you the energy to take the leap of faith because everyone that I have seen and respect that I think is quote, like living a quote unquote spiritual life and spiritual to me, is just defined by honest for themselves, you know, like they're, they're, they're honest to the, who they are. They've developed a worthy skill set in things that they enjoy and they contribute to other people. And they're not around um, doing things that are, uh, unethical or, or like distorted, you know what I mean? It's like, they're very clear in what they're doing and, and have a massive level of integrity. And so everyone who's, who is doing that had to take a leap of faith. You know, they, they have to go all in, like you said, or they have to dedicate their entire being to it. And it's not like you get to the level of mastery right away. It's like, okay, I'm going to go do this and then I'm going to master it. Like any, it doesn't, that doesn't work. When you look at a, an athlete, a snowboarder, a business person or whatever, they went through a whole bunch of failure first. They went through years of experience. They went through forming who they were chipping away yeah. day by day yeah. so that they could build that character and that knowledge within them. And then they carry that within them. It's just like the knowledge you have, you know, one of them is extreme survival skills. And I have uh, extremely terrible survival skills, meaning I'm going to have to come to your house <laughs> and get some help. Um, but it's that's for you, you know, you know, someone would say, Oh, food shortage, but that's interesting. You, there's food everywhere. You would know how to get it. You would know how to support yourself. You know how to do all these things. Um, and you would have no fear of it because you've acquired this knowledge that knowledge is within you. And I feel like that's a fundamental missing skill for our civilization. I think that we need to know that because we're almost this useless species. It's like, yes, it's great to have these abundance and this technology and all of these wonderful things, but you got to remember where you came from. There's value in, in that. You know what I mean? To have that, that knowledge, that inner knowing that wherever you are, you're going to be okay because you understand where you are. You understand yeah. your surroundings. You understand nature. You understand your connection with it. 
and it's real and it's true. And from that you build up, it's like the, the foundational base. If you do martial arts or you do anything like that, they just talk about the fundamentals or the essential knowledge. So that to me is just essential knowledge, which gives you another Mm -hmm. step to go, well, I'm going to do this business and I would like it to make $10 million so that I could buy more land to do this. It's about the mission of what I could do with that, you know, the value of, of, um, what I'm creating. Um, but if everything went away and I had nothing, I could literally just survive here and build a little spot, you know, and and be totally fine because I understand who and what I am and my function in this environment. You know, it's a, it's just a a very important thing. And in your book, you talk, uh, I think it's one of your last chapters, uh, neutralizing someone who brandishes a weapon. And in this world, it's interesting. I was just reading, like the stuff that's coming out of the school board in Canada and some of the stuff that's being promoted in this propaganda, I'm reading it and it is the most absurd stuff. And the main attack is like attack on, you know, people's personality and shouting, you know, sticks and stones at people. And a lot of people are afraid to speak up now. They're afraid to speak the truth because they get hit in the head like a -a whack-a-mole, you know, and very, very much attacked. And so I'm just curious if you can speak on that a little bit. How do we develop our courage and, and even handle confrontation? So many people are really worried about, you know, confronting and and hurting other people's feelings, but also just being attacked. And that for me, I feel like people have said, Matt, you're so brave to speak up. And I never thought of it as, as bravery in any way. I just thought of it as necessity, but I think it's from the martial arts that kind of allows me to do it. And and I'm really sensitive. So when people talk shit on the internet, it's so stupid. It's probably like an 18 year old person or like 24 or whatever. It shouldn't bother me, but it's still like, I feel it. I don't, prefer that it's still yeah. you know, attacks yeah. the feelings but i know it's necessary so whatever is going to come back look this is this is the truth for me I, i'm saying it because i think it's helpful and necessary you can have an opposing view and if you give me better evidence and information that's more true i will lick my wounds and modify what i think um but this is necessary i'm gonna have to say it and then that's kind of like the role that i've done you know for myself and i feel like if more people had the courage to speak the truth and have the accountability to have the knowledge of, of certain circumstances and things going on or right versus wrong. Uh, we wouldn't be as far as we are now. And I'm reminded by this quote, this is stoic quote that said uh, by Marcus Aurelius, it says something along the lines, like today, when I wake up, um, you know, I will know that people will be, um, you know, angry, vindictive, surly, and all these different things because they, they can't tell evil from good. And that's just kind of how I've seen, you know, what's going on now. So I'd love for you to speak on that. Yeah. Yeah. The, the idea of conflict, it all goes back to that, you know, why is there good and evil? Because there's conflict. Uh, somebody judges somebody else. Uh, there's always an enemy out there. We have our culture is based on the enemy concept. We have a war on poverty. We have a war on drugs. We have a war on homelessness. Um, we, we have um, enemies around the world, uh, you know, where we have to be prepared. We, we need a strong military and blah, 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 and, and on and on and on. Always the enemy concept. The cold is our enemy if we live in the North Country. Uh, the heat is our enemy if we live further South. There's always an enemy. We're always working to uh, protect ourselves, to set up boundaries. And that's all at the expense of relationship. And the same with conflict. Let, let's, let's take a simple example that, that from our everyday lives, um, anger, arguments. Why 
do I end up in an argument with somebody? Well, it's because I don't feel as though I'm being heard. So I have to raise up the decibel level. I have to come up with a convincing argument. I have to be assertive uh, in order to get through because I don't feel as though I'm being heard. So the first thing to do when there's conflict uh, to avoid violence is to listen. If someone is threatening violence, that person has a need, want, or desire that is not being fulfilled. So uh, if, if I can just listen, and it has to be honest and sincere listening. If I can listen, if I can create some empathy, some rapport with the person, all of a sudden we're on the same wavelength. Everybody wants the same thing. We're not so different. It doesn't matter who it is. We all want, we all want to be warm and, and comfortable and we all want to have re, uh, meaningful relationships in our lives. We all want to feel safe. There's no difference. Yeah, we think there are differences in values and beliefs and they're irreconcilable. They're not at all. They're not at all. We are all brothers and sisters. We're all children of the same mother. All in this boat together and we're going to sink or swim together. So if we come from that place, someone who's threatening me, threatening me is going to feel that. They're going to see, oh, this guy's not my enemy. Um, this guy, if I be, truly believe in giving before receiving, if, if they have something I, they, they think they need, hey, help yourself. I'll help you load it. I'm not going to sit there and fight with the guy. You know, here, go ahead. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm one of you. <laughs> I'm not your enemy. Um, it's, it's not about the haves and the have-nots. If I have more than you, I ought to be sharing it anyway. You think you need it? Take it. I don't care about ethics. I don't care if you're um, working for it or if you're getting it from the point of a gun. You know, you've got your own stuff going on there. I'm going to go with the flow. I'm going to go with the prevailing energy rather than resisting it. And I just keep it that simple with no judgment, no values. And that way I'm going to survive. The other person is going to get what he or she needs in the moment. And I can make decisions after that, after the pressure's off. If this guy is, um, you know, strung out on drugs and is going to go and hurt somebody, I think. I am now in a place where I can get help for that person or call the authorities or whatever is needed. If I resisted that person and we ended up in a fight, theoretically, I would have a 50-50 chance of predominating in that fight. I might overcome him. He might overcome me. I don't know. Theoretically. So I'd have a 50-50 chance of being able to do any good. And uh, if, if I was defeated... What good am I for my people? What good am I for my family? If I, if, I, if I was shot or I have a broken leg or if I was killed just because I wanted to um, defend and protect our jewelry or whatever, you know, it, it's senseless. It's just senseless to resist. There are other ways. And, and if I can develop rapport with someone who is um, uh, wanting something from me, we can get a dialogue going. And I might be able to do some real good for that person.
Um, I have a business. I might, someone's going to rob me. I might end up offering that person a job. Who knows? I might get that, that person into um, a treatment program. Um, I might be able to help that person's family. I might be able to go over there on the weekend and, and, uh, and do something for the family. I might develop a friendship. I might become this person's mentor. You know, everything's possible if we just listen and truly listen. Wow. Well, I absolutely love that perspective. And I'm reminded of, I can't remember who told me it was some story along the lines where uh, somebody was held up by a gun, you know, at the, at the ATM. And they just said, you know, what do you need? You know, and the person asked, they got a dialogue going and um, ended up giving them the money and saying here, and it was, they were in the same local town and the guy ended up seeking him out because he offered help um, and kind of like cleaning himself up from that interaction where, you know, the, the person was expecting them to, you know, be afraid and be angry, but it said, Oh, like, you're going to, you need this more than me. How much do you need? And it was that question. It, it's incredibly powerful Beautiful. to have that perspective. It's, it's not easy for a lot of people to wrap their head around, but just an absolutely incredible um, uh, perspective because you're coming from this, basic necessity where you talked about the refrigerator analogy of you should have what you need. You know, you need help right now. There's something really wrong with you and I'm blessed. And so I can, I am in a position where I can, you know, give you what you need. You know, it's ideally people aren't going around and and doing that to other people, but that amount of like softness and humanity and also, you know, strength to do something like that, I think is incredibly powerful and transformational because in martial arts, you learn about energy. So if they're in this, you know, really low energy of like, you know, violence, right. And you kind of treat it as violence, um, you know, you're going to be going toe to toe, whether you do physical combat or, or something like that, you want to be able to direct to, the, to direct the energy in another way. And then that way you both have a better outcome rather than two bulls smashing horns. So really yeah, just that's it. really that's it. beautiful, yeah. powerful analogy. Um, you know, I always love chatting to you. I want to talk to you all day, but I want to leave you with one final question with everything that's going on in the world. There's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of sadness and, and everything. A lot of people are really dealing with a lot of hardship with, with things that are going on within family. I've just heard the worst stories over the last, you know, six months of families mm -hmm. being divided and all these different things going on. Very, people are very uncertain. They're worried in a lot of different capacities. Some people are just fast asleep and have no idea what's going on. <laughs> so that sounds nice. You know what I mean? When I say ignorance is bliss, it sounds super nice. You know, oh, yeah, it's totally fine. No, right, uh, right. But for those of you people that are like, you know, okay, I kind of see what's going on in the world. You know, I want to make a difference here. I want to know who I am. How do I navigate these times? Um, maybe they're a little bit depressed or anxious or all these, you know, negative things because of what's going on. What would you recommend to people for just navigating these times in an empowering way? Wow. Um, that's a big question. And uh, it's essentially, I, I'm going to repeat what I've already said in another way and, and, and uh, make it applicable to the present situation. Let's say with, uh, oh boy, I've got a few choices here. Let's take um, the pandemic, uh, COVID. Uh, what am I going to do? Am I going to get vaccinated? Am I not going to get vaccinated? Am I going to wear a mask? Am I not going to wear a mask? Um, what about the quote unquote conspiracy theories? Are some of them true? Are some of them not true? And 
in order to approach all of that, um, what I do myself and what I recommend that people do is to look at it from the greater perspective. I can look at it from my own personal perspective. Okay, I value my freedom. I'm not going to be manipulated. I'm not going to get vaccinated. Or I'm going to get vaccinated because I'm going to take care of myself, damn it. I don't care what anyone else does. Now, from both of those perspectives, I'm making a decision that is supposedly the best for me. What about my people? I'm a guardian. I'm a nurturer. I'm a lead. It doesn't matter. What about my people? What's the best for my people? How can we help take care of each other? How can we come to a place of shared consciousness so that we can get on top of this thing? Forget all the beliefs and the political um, wranglings and all the manipulations that people are doing to, 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 uh, that are self-serving here. What is really going on? And now I can look at it objectively. I can see this virus the same way I would see if I'm standing out in the middle of a road and a car is coming at me. Am I going to live in fear of cars? No. I, I, the car is coming at me and I'm going to take care of it. I'm going, to, I'm going to either signal the car to stop or I'm going to jump out of the way. I'm going to do something to take care of myself. And in that way, I'm taking care of my people too because I'm there to serve. Same way with a virus coming at me. What am I going to do? I can stop it. I can flag it down or I can get out of the virus's way. Does, am I living in fear of the virus? No. I'm, it's just self-preservation. That's all I'm doing. No beliefs, no value judgments, nothing. It's just taking care of business. And if I can do that, and if I can help other people do that as well, I think that's the best thing that I can do and the best thing that we can do. Just as soon as with, with any issue, let's step back and look at it from circle perspective rather than based upon my filters, my beliefs, my value system, or what's going to be the best for me and my family. No, what's the best for all of us together? We're all in this together. Let's think like a circle. Beautiful. Well, I love that. And I love the idea that we have to just analyze what's going on, you know, to take that self-responsibility to be aware of, of what it is and not just taking things for what people say. Like you have to think about it for yourself, come to your own conclusions. Um, and then from there you can, you know, lead by example or whatever you're going to do, but you have to be very clear. You can't just be hearing something and then believing it. You know, there's that accountability piece, Right. And understand, you know, with the, the, like, it's like that understanding piece where, you know, if there's a food shortage for me, I'm going to be nervous for you. It's like, ah, it doesn't matter because I know how to take care of myself. That's where the knowledge comes in, right? How afraid of this should I be? We'll figure that out. Right. And then what do you do to protect yourself? Right. And so again, with the food shortage, if you know how to grow food and, and where it comes from and how to sustain yourself, you literally have no fear of any of this external thing. And then yeah. you can lead your people say, this is the knowledge that was required for me to say, yeah, the food shortage happened, but this is, it's not a problem because we, there's food everywhere. We can just create it here. It's over here, over here, over here, over here. You just weren't taught that. And so that knowledge piece, I think is just incredibly paramount. And that also goes to the self accountability piece right? Because there is deception. And that's, that's a thing that can happen. You know, there are these, you know, manipulations and deceptions, but that only will work if you're going on the surface level, 
if you're not doing that inquiry, if you're not taking a step back, if you're not having meaningful dialogue and relationships, um, if you have those things, then you're going to get a lot more information and be able to have a clear view. And then you're going to be able to focus on what the solution is for yourself and your community. And, um, mm. you know, that's a powerful yep. spot to be. So this has been beautiful. I want to get you back on the show because I, I really love the book. And, and that, in our first podcast, I knew that I, I want to chat with you again to dive a little bit deeper. So thank you so much for coming on the show for everything that you are doing. Can you share your website and where people can learn more about you? Yeah. Um, you can go to, uh, uh, let's see. Uh, teachingdrum.org or healingnaturecenter.org. Uh, those are two websites you can go to. Or if you're interested in one of my books, you could go to snowwolfpublishing.org. Amazing. And I highly recommend uh, checking out his book that we we're talking about today, mostly Like a Shadow, The Life and Training of a Guardian Warrior. It's uh, incredibly a, a wonderful book and especially for the current time. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Is there anything else that you uh, want to leave the listeners with before we close it out? Oh, it's just my pleasure to be with you, Matt. It's great to talk. It's great to share. Uh, my only encouragement for people is just to follow your vision, find out who you are, and go for it. Just do it. And everything else will turn out. <laughs> I love it. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show and uh, thanks everybody for listening. We'll catch you in the next episode. Okay. Till next time, Matt. So long. See you later. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the absolutely outstanding Tamarack song. I hope that you enjoyed that show. And if you did, please share this episode with one person, with three people. Uh, do whatever you can to get the word out on social media. It really does depend on you guys to get that word out there. If you haven't left a review on iTunes, please go ahead and leave a review on iTunes. That would be absolutely phenomenal and very supportive to get the word out there to keep this thing going. Become a member at mattbelair.com if you want. And if you guys are looking for tools around peak performance, living your life purpose, overcoming Commenting uh, self-sabotage, check out Soul Compass, Quantum Heart Hypnosis, or emailing me, Matt at zenathlete.com, and I can share with you all the ways that I can support you, whether it's online training, one-on-one -on -one coaching, hypnosis sessions, whatever you need. Uh, I have some very, very powerful tools for helping you get into powerful alignment and then architecting and creating that reality. So if I can support you in any way, that would be tremendous. Um, but yeah, until then, just check me out on Telegram. It's where I post most, and it's still uh, getting getting content out there which is fantastic and uh, let's just come into a state of peace and coherence before we close this out wherever you are in the world just stop what you're doing take in a deep breath in through your nose hold that breath and let it out slowly filling every cell muscle and fiber of your being with peace joy contentment power courage inspiration inner knowing faith and get ready to enjoy the rest of your day so thank you so much for listening and we'll see you in the next episode